You're listening to Nick Holt Live. It's one minute past seven, Thursday, the 25th of November, 2021. You're listening to the Nick Holt Radio Show on the Australian Independent News Network Substack page, which is ain.substack.com. If you haven't already subscribed for all future news updates, including more podcasts like this, towards the end of this year and certainly flowing strongly into next year, you can do so at ainn.substack.com forward slash subscribe. I'm joined this morning by American political philosopher Johnny Anomaly to discuss the tantalising topic of conspiracy theories, the weaponization of the term conspiracy theory and the indictment of being labelled a conspiracy theorist by the mainstream media. I was reading a story yesterday, Johnny, about the arrest of Igor Denchenko, the Russian analyst and longtime Hillary Clinton acolyte who spearheaded uh, the Steele dossier, which we now know to be an unverified collection of lies about former President Donald Trump's ties to Russia. Denchenko, who's been described as the dossier's primary researcher, was arrested as part of an investigation by John Durham, a special counsel appointed by Trump's Justice Department to investigate the origins of that Russia probe. So not only were the allegations about Trump a lie, Johnny, but it's starting to look like Hillary Clinton's campaign team paid to have that lie manufactured. That's right. And and there were lots of um, supposed leaks to journalists. It's unclear whether these were just made up or whether there were leaks from inside the FBI, but people in the FBI knew that they were fake. It, it, it's, we'll probably never know all the details. But yeah, it was reported by CNN and MSNBC and even the mainstream media uh, in the United States and around the world that this was something that almost certainly happened. We kept hearing like the evidence is coming out. You know, there's more and more evidence. And and of course, there was a special investigation of Trump. And ultimately, it's not just that it obstructed his agenda and there were people being fired for their alleged involvement and so on. It ultimately ended up in Trump being impeached. And if you remember, Trump was impeached because, and this was in the third year of his presidency, Trump was impeached because he had made a phone call to the president of the Ukraine asking whether or not the president of the Ukraine might want to investigate Joe Biden's dealings uh, with Russia and with the Ukraine. And remember, what was going on here is that we, as we now know, the Hunter Biden laptop and other evidence had indicated that it was actually Biden who was making a bunch of deals with Russia, with the Ukraine, and with China. And so what ended up happening is the, the Democratic Congress, once they took control after the first two years of the Trump presidency, they essentially accused Trump of what Biden had done, which is foul dealings with Russia. And they impeached Trump, not for any evidence they had that he had had these foul dealings with Russia, but rather for the fact that he had asked the Ukrainian president whether he could look into Biden's deals with Russia. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. this is complicated, I know, but the idea is, is... they had tried to concoct a conspiracy 
you know, for on behalf of Trump, they accused him of conspiring with Russia in order to cover up the fact that Biden was conspiring with Russia. And when Trump called for the Ukrainian president to investigate what was going on with Biden, they then impeached Trump for supposedly breaking some norms or laws about asking a foreign president to look into what a former vice president had done. And both of those, starting with Russia, right? Yeah. Initially, the the Russia agreement, we're starting to see a lot more come out now through the Durham report. Sure. Um, In particular, in our country, George Papadopoulos has already gone on the record under penalty of perjury, accusing uh, a senior diplomat from Australia of not only spying on him in May 2016 in London, while this diplomat was Alexander Downer, was serving in the capacity of High Commissioner to the UK, he spied on, according to Papadopoulos, he spied on him while Papadopoulos was a member of Trump's foreign campaign committee, which, if true, is a crime of interfering in a foreign election. That's right. Not only was that also a conspiracy, but we're talking about agreements between two or more people to commit a crime, the literal definition of a conspiracy. (laughs) So that's right. There's no theory here. Yeah. It's funny, I guess. And we should, we should investigate or we should talk about what does the term literally mean? And then what does it come to mean? And sorry to cut you off there. Um, I don't know if you were going to finish that thought, but I was just going to, I was just going to say, yeah, go ahead. That definition comes as a definition in criminal law. A conspiracy is an agreement between two or more persons to commit a, to commit a crime at some time in the future. Right. So you can get, you can actually be charged without committing that crime because you've conspired to commit it. If you're, on, if you're on your way to assassinate someone, you'll get charged with conspiracy to assassinate. Like, I guess I'm not a lawyer. Right. Um, yeah, that sounds plausible. I mean, if, if, if it was really likely to happen, if you had the ability and the will to do it, that's right, you could be charged. Yeah, and it's, it's worth just dissecting that term. I mean, a conspiracy is something that happens all the time. People conspire together to do things, like throw a surprise party for your friend. I mean, that's a conspiracy. It's perfectly innocent. And, and the theory that, that that's going on is a perfectly legitimate theory. If you see a bunch of people getting together to try to keep a secret about whose birthday they're going to throw. Um, so it's funny that we now have this weird negative connotation to conspiracy theory whereby it's supposed to be something that's not true by definition almost. But we should just use the word conspiracy in an ordinary sense. And a theory about a conspiracy, a conspiracy theory is just a theory that people conspired, typically behind closed doors. And like that happens all the time. The real question is which conspiracies and which theories we have evidence for and which ones we don't have evidence for. So I was reading part of Mein Kampf recently. And I should preface that by saying it's not a usual staple in my library, that book, but I was looking for a particular passage where Hitler talks about the big lie. And I'll just read that out. Hitler says that in the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility because the broad masses of a nation are always more easily corrupted in the deeper strata of their emotional nature than consciously or voluntarily. And therefore, 
in the primitive simplicity of their minds, they more readily fall victims to the big lie than the small lie, since they themselves often tell small lies in little manners, but would be ashamed to resort to large-scale falsehoods. Mm-hmm. And is the idea, the idea is that the state tells such a big lie that ordinary people um, think that their lies in comparison to it are, are insignificant, or what's the idea? I think the idea is that there's a lie taking place that is so uh, evil and nefarious that the average person cannot comprehend that lie with inside their own moral realm. It's just too big a stretch for them. I see. Yeah. Yeah. What does Hitler say about that? And what, what's your idea there? So I call COVID-19 the big lie. The big lie with COVID is that COVID-19 is such an existential threat to mankind that governments have been justified in committing all the acts that they've committed in the past two years, locking people inside their homes, making people wear masks, shutting down businesses, and now creating a two-tiered society by segregating um, people through forced vaccination. Hitler would say that the average person couldn't fabricate such a lie in their own head. It's too big. And therefore, they wouldn't believe that others, as he says, could distort the truth so infamously either. Even though the facts, which in this case is data, amongst many other things, can be brought clearly to their minds and will still continue to look for some other explanation. Uh, In this case, that the nightly news is correct. He then says that for the grossly impudent lie always leaves traces behind it, even after it has been nailed down, a fact which is known to all expert liars in this world and to all who conspire together in the art of lying. I see. I guess especially for it to have value to the state, right? Because if you can get people to believe a really big one, then you can get them to believe lots of other associated lies probably, right? That's right. You know, actually, let's talk about the following point. I know we're going to talk about conspiracies and conspiracy theories and some of the big ones like COVID and and Russiagate and that sort of thing. But I actually want to think about this. Why is it that there's this power to accusing other people of being, quote, conspiracy theorists, where we mean like, these people are crazy. They're out of touch with reality. They think there's a conspiracy here when, in fact, nothing happened. And I think the reason that's a powerful accusation is that there is something true about the fact that often bad things really just do happen or good things. They just happen and they were arbitrary chance results. Someone gets hit by a car or something like that. And there was no conspiracy, you know, the the driver didn't conspire the bus driver with the state and with his passengers to, you know, run the guy over it. It just happened. He made a mistake. And we think, well, you know, people who immediately go to a conspiracy every time, they are kind of crazy, actually. A lot of times in life, just shit happens, right? (laughs) We have that expression, shit happens. So I want to say, first of all, like, actually, there is something to this, this claim, like, there are some people who see conspiracies everywhere when they don't actually exist. Right. And that's why I think there's some power in the media and others dismissing, you know, free thinkers as mere conspiracy theorists, because there are a few people like that. Right. 
The problem is they then take that accusation and when someone dissents from the mainstream view, they call them a conspiracy theorist and it has that expressive power, that resonance, because there are some crazy people out there who think everything's a conspiracy. Take your craziest conspiracy, you know, or even a really nasty one, like the Holocaust never happened, right? It just didn't happen. It's just fake, you know, or like dinosaurs didn't exist, you know, like, I think those are pretty crazy, right? I mean, I'm open to evidence on almost anything, but those are pretty nutty. And I think like what happens is because there are some crazy people who believe stuff like that, like the dinosaurs never existed or the Holocaust never happened. You know, we, we do tend to think, okay, so, you know, if there's this other thing that everyone agrees on, you know, maybe it is that, you know, this is just a crazy conspiracy theorist who disagrees with it. So I'm just trying to give a little bit of a, um, at least a, a, a decent explanation for why some people sometimes do dismiss uh, people like us conspiracy theorists, you know, even if, even if we're not, or even if there was a real conspiracy, uh, I, I'm just trying to be charitable to like, why is it this is, this has any power at all, this accusation? So I think some people though, like that, they're very scared of conspiracy theorists in a way that they think they're dangerous. And these people are generally the ones that still have complete trust overall in the mainstream media and government. Yeah. Very, very conditioned to yeah. associate insanity and wackiness with the words conspiracy theory. Yeah. They're who the headlines target. That's exactly right. That's dangerous. Well, I agree. And I was trying to give a psychological explanation for why that's the case, right? So exactly. It does work on a lot of people. And that's partly because a lot of people are conformists. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, it can be bad to be a conformist, but you know, a lot of people just need to get to work every day and whatever, take care of their family. And they don't want to constantly question like what's going on around them. And that's fine. And so I think, yeah, what's happening is those people do see that some people who believe in certain conspiracies are crazy actually. And, you know, they don't want to be one of them and they assume probably they have faith in ordinary people around them. They're being told the truth about most things. And so then they start to, you know, associate, good faith disagreement with the kind of wacky conspiracies, the ones that really obviously are not correct. So in terms of explaining why a lot of ordinary people dismiss dissenting views as conspiracy theories in the derogatory sense, it makes some sense. The problem is, of course, that, like we said, some conspiracies are real and some theories are, are better than others. So like, I guess you could call me you know, I'm now officially a conspiracy theorist about 1-6, about the January 6 riots. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that they didn't happen. They obviously did. Is that a conspiracy? Well, yes, it's literally a conspiracy. If there were people who secretly pretended that they were Trump supporters, tried to get them to enter the Capitol, even when a lot of them didn't want to, is that a conspiracy? If it happened, yes. And do I have a theory about it? Yes, I do. So I'm a conspiracy theorist. So I think we need to get rid of this idea that a conspiracy theory is by definition uh, false, because <laughs> obviously it's not. Some are false and some are true. I think we need to get rid of the term. It's just got too much baggage attached to it. It, it can't be used in a trustworthy manner rhetorically. It's almost, um, it's almost rhetorically cliched. I suppose that's true. I agree. But, you know, I hate euphemisms. I don't know about you, but, you know, all these euphemisms that, that the 
left keeps coming up with, right? Whether it's changing from sex to gender, I purposely use the word sex because I believe there are only two sexes, male and female. Gender is a fake term that basically was invented in the, I guess it was the 60s, the 50s maybe, to designate this idea that you get to make up your own sex. And it's like, no, I just reject that. And similarly, when there's a term like, I don't know, like the word racism or something like that, it's overused. And now some people say, well, we should use a different term. And I'm like, why? So, so I, I agree with you. Conspiracy theory, it's overused. It's got all these dumb connotations. But I also don't know if we can solve the problem by um, switching terms. And I hate the idea of it because it's a classic tactic by the left. Yeah, ban something. Yeah. Um, no, I think you're right. I, I just don't. I don't get anywhere near it because anything to do with identity when someone is wanting to have either a hostile or good-spirited debate with me, yeah. so often is the case that they will immediately drag my point yeah. into the identity basket and then for me is a process of pulling it out and not, not allowing them to use one or two words to define a well-thought-out analysis in my head. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. Whether they call you a conspiracist or not, what they do is they, they sort of move along this spectrum of this is, quote, fake news or misinformation, which itself is, of course, a, it, it demands evidence. Well, what do you mean? You know, like, what's your evidence that is that it's not just an alternative point of view? Conspiracy theory is almost like it's, it's the last point in the argument where they've tried to make these accusations against you. Nothing works. And then it's like, boom, of course, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're a denialist. So in terms of current events that have been called dangerous conspiracy theories, yeah, the big ones are the 2020 election and January 6th. Yeah, no doubt. And, and to reject the official line about what happened, which is the most democratic election in history, <laughs> the most transparent election, or, uh, you know, that this was an insurrection January 6th, the likes of which we haven't seen since 9-11 and the Civil War, <laughs> or it's, you know, worse than 9-11 and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these, these are fascinating, right? Because this became a line. And I remember as, just, just to go back to 1-6, as it happened, you know, it was just sort of chaotic. You know, there were obviously people stormed the Capitol. Nobody knew what happened exactly. We knew there weren't a lot of police there, which was a little odd for such a big event. Yeah, it seemed kind of chaotic. And then within about two to three days, I remember the media slowly converging on a certain term. And that term is insurrection. And it's a legalistic term, right? Like a deliberate attempt, a conspiracy to overthrow the United States government. That's, that's what they meant by insurrection. Mm. And as soon as one of them said it, every single one of them said it. Uh, that is of the mainstream media. And you could almost be deplatformed for denying it, right? And nobody was denying that, you know, people entered the Capitol or that it got out of hand, but for denying the official narrative. So mm. in other words, the official narrative is an actual conspiracy. Everyone started using the same term, even though nobody's been charged yet with actually engaging in insurrection, right? There were no serious weapons found. I think one or two people might've had a knife or, you know, some mace or something like that. But imagine trying to 
to overthrow the U.S. government with, you know, a pocket knife uh, or something like that. Uh, I mean, it's absurd. The whole charge is absurd. And yet, again, the people who deny the official story, which only became sort of clarified in the media a few days later, were the conspiracy theorists, right? Yeah. And, and of course, bogus, dangerous conspiracy theorists, as you said. In reality, it looks more and more like they're the conspiracy theorists. Exactly. They're trying to frame everyone there as some kind of violent extremist who is trying to overthrow the government. When you actually look at the tapes, although some people you know, broke windows and committed some violence, it looks like the body count from Trump supporters is exactly zero. It's not one or three or 75. It, it's zero. Um, we now know that's true, right? One of the one of the policemen who died a couple of days later, we now know died of natural causes. They initially said he was bludgeoned to death by a fire extinguisher that was repeated many, many times in the mainstream media and by the New York Times. Uh, then they said, no, 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 it wasn't a fire extinguisher, but it was like bear spray or some bizarre, you know, weapon like that. Then they, re then they recanted that. And now the official line is the natural causes. But this is worse than 9-11 and the Civil War, you know, with body counts of respectively 5,000 and 700,000. So, so this is, this is um, taking conspiracy theorizing to a new level. The idea that people who question this, that we are engaged in dangerous conspiracy theorizing. And what did Darren Beatty's doco reveal? Well, what Darren Beatty uh, revealed in his revolver reporting is, well, among other things, he revealed many things, but he re he's the first to really break the story about the police officer, Brian Sicknick, who died, uh, not dying from you know being beaten by a fire extinguisher or bear spray or whatever they were alleging, but instead by dying probably of some, some heart complications uh, a day or two later. So he broke that story many, many months ago, and eventually the mainstream media, after mocking him, reluctantly conceded. But more recently, he wrote a really long-form piece about a very particular person named Ray Epps, who's been in the media, who's been in the news for quite a while now. And I won't get into the details, but the basic idea, you can actually find video of Ray Epps uh, on Twitter and YouTube, hasn't all been taken down yet. But this was a, a very tall, strange-looking boomer, you know, he's a sort of you know, late 50s, you know, wearing a MAGA cap. At, and you could see him at all these rallies the day before uh, 1-6. So he was there on, you know, the night of 1-5 and throughout 1-6. And you, you see him making these mysterious appearances in crowds of often younger people, and they'd be talking about the protests that's coming tomorrow and the speech Trump's going to give. And then you see this guy, Ray S, coming up. He says, tomorrow, we're going to go into the Capitol, you know, and, and people looking at him like, no, no, we're not. We're not going into the Capitol. And there's actual video footage, and I encourage everyone to look it up where all of the people around him then start chanting, Fed, Fed, Fed. They knew he was a federal agent. It was so clear because nobody was calling for anyone to go inside the Capitol. The idea was to go to the Capitol, which is completely common. That's normal. And then to peacefully protest outside the Capitol to put the pressure on lawmakers because they were going to vote to certify the election on 1-6. So that's what everyone was calling for, to go and, as Trump said, peacefully protest at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And yet what we see is this guy Epps making multiple appearances. And in fact, when you see 
just before the Capitol is breached on 1-6, miraculously enough, you see Ray Epps right there in front of the gate. Now, who is the unindicted conspirator of 1-6? And that is Ray Epps. Mm. He initially uh, had appeared on some websites as maybe somebody who was in this and a person of interest. And as soon as uh, Darren Beatty broke a story about him and about some other unindicted conspirators, uh, the FBI took them off of their list of conspirators and uh, off of their list of people who are wanted by the FBI. So it looks like this guy among, and we don't know how many others, was a plant by the FBI to actually get people to go into the Capitol and to breach it in order to break laws so that then they could more easily arrest them and trump up charges. Now, do I have any inside information on this? Absolutely not. I was nowhere near the Capitol. I don't know who Ray Epps is. I'm just giving you a sense of, of some reporting that was done. But we know for a fact the mainstream media was obsessed with this narrative, that this was not just a mob that got out of hand. Certainly, it wasn't a mob that was led by any FBI informants. And yet what we now know is, look, a lot of these people who went on 1-6, some of them were actually kind of violent, you know, and they were pushing the gates down. A lot of them were let in peacefully by the police. We have lots of video footage of that. But none of them were carrying weapons like guns. Not a single one has been charged with that yet. Maybe one will be. Who knows? And it looks like there were at least some FBI plants who were leading them to go into the Capitol. So who's the conspiracy theorist now? So the big lie is there was an insurrection on U.S. soil by right-wing Trump supporters. That's your big lie. Yeah. And then the, the media then turns that lie into imagery. Right. You don't get a letter in the mail from the government saying that there was an insurrection on the Capitol. Right. It's, well, tonight, dangerous insurrectionists storm the Capitol nonstop. That's right. I mean, I talk about this so much, the idea of the power behind imagery to completely, um, to make them completely irrational because of fear. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, the insurrection was another massive lie. And the same with the election. Yep. Thousands of headlines a day all said the same thing. Trump's baseless election fraud claims. Right, right. So they're baseless. There's no evidence. Yeah. Of course there's evidence. Doesn't mean that it's all, if any, of it is consequential. It's just if you walk into a crime scene and there's a sock on the ground, you pop it in the bag. Right. It might have nothing to do with the crime, right? Yeah. But it's, ev it's evidence. And they said there was none. No reasonable person would believe that. Right, exactly. It's evidence. And they would even admit, as everyone knows, every election in history, every major election has some fraud. The question is, is there a hundred fraudulent ballots, a thousand, a million? Like the numbers matter. The idea that there's literally none, that there can be no fraud. Okay, well, that would be the first election in history where that's true, right? Or there's no evidence, right? I mean, well, they're bad actors who are fabricating a conspiracy theory and putting it onto someone else. So they're accusing someone of a conspiracy theory they've created that is then believed by even worse actors. That's right. And the clincher is, and this is the first time in an election we saw this, where YouTube created an algorithm where if you question the election's integrity in any way, you would be deleted immediately. Your account would be deleted without any further notice. 
how confident are they that there was no election fraud when they will not allow anyone to even discuss the possibility? So, I mean, you know, the same thing goes for COVID, as you know, right? My views aren't that radical about COVID. I'm open to all kinds of views on this, but, you know, if they really, if they really thought everything that they were saying was true, if the narrative was just obviously right, they wouldn't then feel the need to delete everyone who disagrees and dissents. So who's, who's the real conspiracy theorist here? Once again, the people who deliberately and consciously get together to silence all dissent or is it the people who question the people who are silencing all dissent? So they're calling us the conspiracy theorists, but how are they doing so by conspiring against us to delete all possible counter narratives? Amazing. It is. I encourage anyone listening, check out Tucker Carlson's new 1-6 special. And Darren Beatty actually leads off with the narration. What they do is they show other footage than often the mainstream media shows. And of course, you know, we should look at all footage. Some, some of what the mainstream media is saying is, of course, true. And some of the videos they're showing is true. The problem is they're selectively showing you certain videos and they're continually bombarding you with words like, again, insurrection and so on to frame the narrative. But check out Tucker Carlson's alternative and then decide for yourself. Like you, Nick, I, I'm not trying to create a bunch of sheep and followers and conformists. Instead, the idea is, you know, we're sort of breaking apart and deconstructing this idea that everyone who questions the official narrative is a dangerous conspiracy theorist. It's them that are dangerous. It's them that are basically undermining the foundations of a free society, which is open inquiry and real science. Real science thrives on disagreement, dissent, and standards of evidence. It doesn't thrive on this idea that everyone who disagrees is a conspiracy theorist engaged in misinformation. I think that, unfortunately, it's harder to get the average person to distrust all mainstream media institutions. Yeah. I think you're going to start to see, finally, you'll, you'll have, we'll eventually see a little bit of courage come out of places like the New York Times and stuff. I just don't think they can keep up the... The media is going to sway with what the public knows is true. It's an interesting hypothesis. I, I hope so. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because when you look at, you know, when you look at media bias, and it's true in, in, you know, basically all Western countries, I'm more familiar with the US, but it's definitely true in Canada, Britain, Australia. They're so far off from where from where normal people are. And the reality is they have been for a long time. And the same thing goes for a lot of politicians. So, so I don't know. I mean, you'd think like, yeah, look, they want to sell things. They want to sell commercials. That, that's what news media does. And the news is only secondary to them selling commercials. I mean, that's, that's real in, in some sense. In the same way that, you know, Nike doesn't care about BLM. They're trying to sell shoes and they see this opportunity to promote themselves with a certain group. The problem is, like, unlike Nike, I actually think the media often is run by people who do have real ideological agendas. And that can be true for the right wing, too. I don't want to, like, let Rupert Murdoch off, off the hook or whatever. But, but obviously, the mainstream media leans very much to the left. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of them are true believers, not in their message. They're true believers in this greater goal of, you know, equity and, you know, progressivism and so on. And I actually think they're just willing to take huge losses at the New York Times, at CNN, and so on 
for the sake of their ideology. I know there are limits to that, but think of what happened to BuzzFeed. Just as an example, you know, BuzzFeed famously was running all these headlines like you didn't even know it, but your grandmother is a transphobe or whatever, you know, or 10 signs that your wife is, you know, white supremacist. Brilliant. And they just run these just bizarre stories. And for a while it worked. And then they, they actually lost a huge amount of money. And guess what? George Soros gave them hundreds of millions of dollars and bailed them out. Why did he do that? Because he thought they were going to be profitable. No, he did that because he wanted to prop up that narrative. And even further take control of that narrative and evolve it to his own. Absolutely. Uh, I want to believe that you're right, that the, what used to be mainstream news, like New York Times, they were left of center, but still pretty, pretty respectable. I want to believe they can be pulled back to reality, but I actually don't think that's right. I don't think they will be. Well, let me remove the word courageous and <laughs> yeah. say that they'll have to do it because there are so many good independent journalists right now. In the long run, you, you might be right. Who knows? You know. Who knows? Yeah. And, and, and maybe it doesn't really matter in my view. So either the New York Times or you know, whoever you want to use as an example, they get pulled back toward, let's just call it reality, or they just die. And that's fine too. Maybe, or they don't die, but they become marginalized. Fine. I don't care. I mean, as long as there is a way for independent voices to get out, like Glenn Greenwald, who's a leftist on Substack, but often teams together with Tucker Carlson to reveal the way the deep state works or the way the FBI works and so on. Right. These guys are great. And I think Glenn Greenwald, he has something like a million subscribers, just himself, you know, like almost as many as the New York times. So if he ends up beating the New York times, good, I don't care. I mean, what really matters is we can get this stuff out. And just a final note on this. I don't know if you've saw, you've seen this, but there are many mainstream journalists who are calling for Substack, which hosts Glenn Greenwald and, and Matt Taibbi and many others. They're calling for Substack to be censored. Why? Because a lot of the people in the mainstream media, journalists, are saying that Substack is dangerous and that some of these people, Andrew Sullivan, who used to write for The Times, uh, you know, Matt Taibbi, he used to be on Slate and some of these left-wing websites, but he left them because he saw that they were lying. He's the one that called out the Russia hoax, him and Glenn Greenwald. These guys basically are independent voices. They're getting millions of dollars for good reason. They're doing good. And now the journalists themselves are, and this is a good way to wrap it up. They're calling them, you know, agents of disinformation. You know, they're promoting conspiracy theories, et cetera. So what's really happening here is, look, as long as we can have independent voices, I think we're going to win in the end. It may take a while. But the problem is, I don't know that we're going to win by like the mainstream media actually reforming itself. It may be by them just becoming totally discredited and marginalized as they should be.